Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, here we are after that interesting exercise starting to talk after a week of silence. Coming out of that quiet space into the activity can, uh, can be challenging, uh, can be exciting, but it's usually interesting, whatever it is. And I'd like to talk a little bit about um, both the, the quiet and the active now as the retreat moves into uh, the, the final phase. Uh, so you can, we can explore together how to hold both of those. We're very, very active when we come to a retreat, most of us anyway, and to come down to your cushion or your chair and stop, or at least slow down and listen for a few days or for a week, um, it takes some getting used to. You might remember those first couple of days, two or three days. It's kind of like shifting down the gears. We, uh, you're not always sure the clutch is, is well-serviced. It uh, can be a little bumpy sometimes. And then you kind of get into that rhythm and ease and peace. Even though it's, it has its ups and downs, you kind of um, fall into a place of familiarity with that space. And then coming out again, it's like you're shifting the gears up. You get better and better at learning how to use the clutch and be... Uh, a bit more natural in that transition, but it can be a, a kind of confusion. Okay, so how do I live my life? Am I just trying to remember to be quiet and be and listen? Is running around counterproductive? So many of us are so used to the being that, um, or sorry, to the doing that, that being is a little bit scary. But then when you kind of get into it, then a lot of spiritual people on their spiritual path think of doing as a dirty word. Well, out in the world, most of us are um, more secure in the doing mode. You know, you work hard, you get results. And we often equate our worthiness with productivity, productivity, what we can uh, show for our labors. And it can be very exciting, the creativity and, and the finished products of, of your work, or forming a relationship and creating that and seeing what it turns into, or living out your interests. But that momentum of busyness creates an illusion that the more you do, the more you'll get out of life, and the happier you'll be. And if you really do a lot and don't stop, then that's where it's at. Now, we've perhaps seen glimpses through that illusion, but it needs to be reminded when we get out in the world because that momentum starts to kick in very fast. So I'll, tomorrow we'll talk a lot about reminders, remembering what you know, but what is so easily forgotten. We often can equate a feeling of aliveness with activity. And the extreme of this is people who are workaholics, where if they slow down for a while, like the adrenaline rush is missing, or it's a little bit scary when it's so quiet. 
And the paradox is that the times that we really feel most alive are the times when we're connected, when we have a wholeness in our being, when we're fully here, when we can truly rest in the moment. You know, when you're eating the raisin and really tasting it, or when you're feeling your feelings and you're really here for them instead of wondering how they're going to go or what they'll turn into or um, how you can get away from them. Or the times that you're truly with somebody and it's just you and this other. Maybe you had a few moments of that as you broke silence the last hour or so. And in that moment when we're fully here, completely resting in it, we're complete. As it's said in the Third Zen Patriarch, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess, this is a sense of perfection. The momentum and the habit of doing keeps us just a bit ahead of ourselves. And in our daily life, we often have the illusion that um, we'll have more time, we'll give ourselves some time when we just get to the end of our list. You know, then we can just enjoy life. Except that um, if, if your list is like mine often is, you never get to the end of it. You notice that? You kind of cross off the top, or maybe you've avoided the first two or three, and go on and on and on. And there's always more that you can add to it. And in that, you can miss out on your life. You miss out on really being here for relationships or your work. And having a, a child in the last few years, it was, uh, it's been a real blessing. Something that somebody, a friend said to me um, when, we were, uh, when we were pregnant was that he regretted, the one thing he regretted was not being there for his children as much as, as he could have. And those words stuck with me very much. Um, he's a dear friend who has since passed away. Uh, and I often consciously rearrange my priorities in, in thinking, oh, no, 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 I'll... You know, I'll, I'll be with my son, and then I'll get this, uh, and I'll get this done. But I have to get this done. And when I remember that, I just say, "Oh, hey, this time is going by pretty fast. Let's just be here with it." And if you forget, you you miss out on it. Of course, there's a problem with just being out in the world too. You can't just go through it like a vegetable. You know, just go through it, oh, the flow, let the flow carry me, you know. <laughs> or I'll go to the next retreat and then I'll really be doing my being. And I got to keep on practice being out here and this is just really hard, you know. Because there's responsibilities and, and things to do. <clears throat> First, I, I want to talk a little bit about this doing and being in relationship to the meditation practice and then talk more about it as we, uh, as we leave the retreat. There's a paradox right within the meditation. Doing the meditation to really fully get the benefit of it, you really have to work. It takes a tremendous commitment, a tremendous intention and effort just to bring ourselves here to the moment. But to truly rest in the moment requires a letting go of all effort. So this gets tricky, you know, because you hear different messages at different times. You might hear, okay, it's the, it's the last sitting. If you have energy, stay up and practice. Um, every time you see your mind wandering, bring it back here. And then you can hear at another time, just relax, take it easy. You know, you might get a little bit confused. What am I supposed to do? And different teachers emphasize 
uh, different aspects of this. Some teachers, really fierce um, taskmasters, might say, practice like your hair is on fire. That's a, a famous line from uh, a great Burmese meditation master. Or one, one uh, teacher that I sat with, another Burmese uh, master, saying, abandon all concern for the body when you're sitting. Heroic effort. Just go in there. If your legs fall off, let them fall off. Don't move. Don't do anything but fully intention in the moment. And I know that that kind of practice has been very powerful for me, so I don't want to dismiss it. But you can re forget to keep things light when you do that, uh, unless you kind of you know, have that understanding. On the other hand, there's some teachers that talk about nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. Don't strain, just relax. Again, the third Zen patriarch says, to live in the great way is neither easy nor difficult. Just let things be in their own way and there'll be neither a coming nor going. That sense of ease that we've talked about from time to time. When you're fully in the moment, any movement towards or away from things as they are is a movement of becoming, not really being. It's a movement of trying to acquire something, not a settling in. Being involves no struggle, no striving, no duality of me trying to have an experience. And that quality of resting in the moment is our natural state. When we can remember that, when we can experience that, the meditation changes from seeing things clearly, that's often the definition of Vipassana meditation, seeing things clearly, to simply being. And that's a great shift. It's simply life expressing itself through us. Just to take a moment, I'd like to make this a more immediate experience, close your eyes for a moment. Okay? And just allow yourself to rest without trying to make anything happen completely uncontrived and simply relax into this moment. Feel the aliveness with ease. sounds come and go, the breath, the space. Could you feel that? The ease? so simple, right? So why is all of this so hard? And how can we reconcile this paradox? The effort, the no effort, the doing and the being. First of all, the idea of nothing to do that is talking about freedom is very different than the nothing to do of a lazy mind. Because the usual nothing to do, oh, I'll just hang out, is generally a mind that's filled in likes and dislikes, reactions, uh, aversions, and it's a constant action and reaction to experience. It's doing all the time. It's becoming, it's fixing, it's gaining, it's wanting, it's avoiding. So that's not the kind of nothing to do that we're talking about. This is a very special nothing to do. 
a very special ease and opening. And generally, in order to be, requires for most people a very deep commitment, as I said, and a, a deep intention to prepare the mind to simply let go. What I talked the other night about that longing for freedom. You have to honor that. You have to be able to hear the call that says, let me just go for this. The passion for liberation is a very helpful ingredient in this. So that we can put our intention and our effort into the practice and we can remember to just be at ease. And the whole notion of effort is one of balance. It's an issue that is a central one in practice. And often people come in saying, I'm not doing enough, or uh, I could do more, or maybe I'm trying too hard. And it's a balance of effort. And since you're a constantly changing system of energy, you don't land in the middle and say, oh, this is how much I'm supposed to do. It's a shifting, it's a changing, it's an adjusting. When you're feeling contracted because you're trying really hard, that's the time to lighten up. If you're feeling lazy and laid back, that's the time to put in more uh, effort. Sometimes we equate what's happening with the amount of effort that we're putting in. Oh, I'm really quiet now. This is the, the right amount. Or, gee, my mind is everywhere. I must not be doing enough. And that's completely out of your control. What's happening you have absolutely no control over. But if you think of effort as coming from a sincerity of heart, a willingness to be here, then you can let go of evaluating what's happening. This is where the effort comes from. It's not a, a kind of will. It's more a willingness, an opening from the heart. Okay, I'll throw my whole heart into this moment and see what's here. And there's a place where the effort and the non-effort meet. Because as you put in that full commitment, the effort becomes effortless at times. Have you noticed where at times you're just here and it's not very much of a, a struggle, like that moment perhaps a few, uh, a few minutes ago? One bridge between the effort and the non-effort is the quality of interest, of exploring, of wanting to discover. That's the factor that, that transmutes this effort into non-effort. Because when you're interested, it doesn't require a whole lot of work to pay attention. Now, usually we get interested when things are a lot of fun or very entertaining or very frightening and it demands our, our attention. And so this is learning on a more subtle level to find the interest in things that might not be so entertaining in your daily life, like breathing. When you think about it, if you couldn't take your next breath, it would be very, very interesting, wouldn't it? And there's a, a famous story of, uh, of a, a master who's asked by a, a student, teach me, teach me to, to pay attention. And he puts, puts the, uh, the student's head underwater. He says, were you paying attention then? Were you looking at your next breath? Were you waiting for it? It becomes very engrossing. And as you start to look more carefully, the whole thing is magical. There's this incredible show going on. <clears throat> we take the magic for granted. I had this uh, experience with my son uh, it was about a year ago, a year and a half ago. He started asking me about God, um, which is not, uh, it's not uncommon for a child about five or so. He's, he's almost seven. And uh, I said, well... You know, when I, when I think of God, 
I didn't talk about Dharma like I did the other night. That wouldn't have meant anything. Uh, I said, um, I think of magic. That's, that's kind of how I relate to God. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, um, well, uh, let's look around here. And then we, we had a cassette on the, on the table, cassette player with some of his tapes. And he was into Sesame Street at the time. Um, and I picked up this, this cassette and I pressed it down. And there was Sesame Street singing. And I pulled out the cassette and I said, is Bert and Ernie on this tape? Where are Bert and Ernie? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I said, isn't that pretty amazing? You can just hear them coming out? And he said, yeah. How does that happen? I said, I don't know. <laughs> it's magic. And then we looked around and I, I turned on the, the light switch and I said, check this out. You know, I turned that on and then there's light. How does that happen? He said, yeah, how does that happen? I said, I don't know. It's magic, isn't it? And we started going through all this, and then he started getting in touch with a whole lot of stuff, and you know, turning on, opening up the refrigerator, and <laughs> eating food, and tasting that, and you know, it's magic. And we were having this fun for a couple of weeks, just talking about, hey, it's the magic, Dad. And it's getting in touch with that level of wonder, where we see this magic is happening all around us. That kind of interest, when you can remember to tune into the magic of life, really compels us to, to explore. And then it's not really a great effort to pay attention. <clears throat> so getting into that Space allows us to just play in this world of magic. When we can remember to be, then we can see the play of life. And that brings a perspective to everything that we do. This is uh, one of my current favorite pieces of, uh, of Dharma that beautifully talks about the sense of being in space. And Carol led that meditation uh, today with space. It's quite extraordinary when you can drop into that and see the play happening inside that space. So listen to this, if you can, with, uh, with an openness. It's from a Tibetan uh, Lama. He says, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already there in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do. Whatever arises in the mind has no importance at all because it has no reality whatsoever. Don't become attached to it. Don't pass judgment. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It is like a rainbow which you run after without ever catching. Although it does not exist, it has always been there and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like rainbows. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is there open, inviting, and comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Don't go into the inextricable jungle looking for the elephant who's already quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want. 
and everything happens by itself. Now that's the big perspective. Okay, having that perspective, how then can we live our life? That perspective provides us with a reference point within which we can play at our lives, within which we can do all of this activity. If we're looking for happiness in the middle of our accomplishments or activity, forget it, because our circumstances are always changing. How many things affect our happiness, our health, our conditions in our body, and our relationships, our life circumstances, our conditioning? So many things affect our momentary happiness. How can we find true peace? It's certainly not on everything being in order and being right. But when we can understand the underlying condition, the underlying nature of reality, which is change, then we can play in our life. Then it's just this movie that we happen to be in, where we are the star, sometimes the hero, sometimes the villain, sometimes the, the goat, whatever. But it's just happening through us. And that's a very different way to live your life than making your life happen. Your life happens whether or not you try to make it happen. It's going on all the time. And coming from the perspective of, the perspective of being, then we don't have to set it up so that it's all working perfectly. There's a beautiful line in the Third Zen Patriarch Again, this, this piece of, uh, of Dharma wisdom, it says, to live in harmony, to live in true peace, is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To be without anxiety about non-perfection. When we can let go of making our life turn out just the way we think it's supposed to and more be at ease and see how it's going, then we can respond instead of react with fear or with grasping. <clears throat> and so this is where the, the relative and the absolute can both be honored. You play your game, you play your life as if it counts because it's the only game that there is. And yet you know that in the bigger scheme of things, it's not so important. Whatever you're in the middle of now is going to change. This is what Carlos Castaneda calls controlled folly, where each moment counts, but you can have a lightness about it. Again, from the Third Zen Patriarch, it says, to deny the reality of things is to miss their reality. To assert the emptiness of things is to miss their reality. And so, you can't be deciding which is the right one it's really learning to dance in both levels. If you're just going around being and not doing, that's doing your being. Okay, I'm just a Buddhist. I'm just a meditator. I'm just going to sit here. Well, that has a limited expression of your life. You've been given so many gifts. You can feel you can act, you can appreciate, you can serve, all of these things. And if we don't utilize them, it's, it's truly, um, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. 
but seeing ourselves coming out of this being as an expression of life, then we can both honor our individuality and see that we're part of something much bigger. As I was saying uh, yesterday, I think, to somebody uh, about this idea of selflessness. Look, in the, look at a tree in the forest. Each tree has a uniqueness. Everyone, some are tall, some are gnarled, some are full, some are uh, thin. And everyone is this perfect expression of life. Each one has its own manifestation. And yet, they're all part of the forest. This living organism we call forest. In the same way, each one of us is this perfect expression of life. And nobody can be as good a you as you. So, it's a kind of invitation to discover what life has given to you and to express it fully and playing at it. This is, uh, I came across this, this essay by this fellow who had a, a real transcendent experience of selflessness and um, he, he beautifully described it. And the amazing thing was it's, it has stayed with him, uh, kind of a rare uh, occurrence. He actually had it when he, was, uh, he nearly died, and he was drugged by, uh, by somebody in Thailand. And uh, coming out of that near-death experience, he had this very deep awakening that um, he had some good karma in there. And he talks about how he sees himself. He says, In the Jewish Kabbalah, it's said that the Ein Sof, the limitless, creates a space within itself so that limited being can also exist. In the Upanishads, it's said that the Brahman changed from the pure unmanifest to the manifest. To coin my own phrase, it was as if the personal me budded out from that eternity of shining dark without ceasing to be the shining dark. So, wonderful image, wonderful way to see this process of coming into existence. I used to have this um, something like that perspective when I was a kid and actually a lot of my spiritual uh, unfolding has been remembering something that I knew as a kid. I used to get into this space of feeling myself alive. I can still put myself in it. It's, it's, a, it's a memory I've, I've reawakened over the, the last couple of years. Just feeling myself alive like I asked you to do a little while ago and just feeling how life has somehow coalesced and come together in me, in this being that, that, that's called me. And it would just blow my mind. You know, how did I get here? Did you ever think about that? How did you get here? This being that we call you. Where'd you come from? just kind of butted out of the nothingness. The emptiness and the activity are both parts of the whole. There's not an either-or. And the, I think the, the gift of spiritual practice is getting in touch with that beingness, the ground of being, so that then we can play in this life of fullness. You don't have to pick which is which. It's dancing in both levels. And that's what real harmony is. Real harmony includes birth and death and pleasure and pain 
and night and day and activity and rest. It holds it all. And you don't even have to figure out which is which. It comes through you. Rest and activity, doing and being. And so, um, as you've gone through this week, hopefully you can take moments, the moments that you touched here, even if there were just a few of them, of the peace that comes from just resting, just fully being alive in this moment. Those moments are very, very powerful. Don't underestimate those moments. Even just seeing that possibility informs everything else in your life. And you don't have to get too caught up in how long you're supposed to sit, what's good practice at home, and uh, you know, am I doing it right? It's just whatever reminds you what you touched in those moments here that breaks up the momentum of that busyness to, to show you you can hold your whole life in a whole other way. And then your doing comes from a place of deep being. So... That's all I want to say at this point. We can take some time for discussion, questions, or anything about breaking the silence coming out of the retreat. So when you're when you're writing, are you trying hard to write, or does it come through you? So how can you allow it to come through? Getting out of the way and then crafting as it as it comes out and shaping it. Mm-hmm. Well, with with creativity, um, the meditation can be a very creative space. When you're not trying to figure things out, a lot of times there's just uh, the muse comes through you, because it's it's like you're allowing for the for the creative energy of the universe just to express itself through you. So it can be helpful to, to just sit before you're creating you know, and just allow yourself to not figure anything out, but just sit here and listen. 
And if you can do that often, you know, things start to happen. But it's a, it's a tricky dance because you can't kind of, you know, push it out. So it's more allowing. And if you're finding yourself trying hard, then that's the time perhaps to give yourself some space. Do you remember anything else? Duality and non-duality? Well, the idea of duality... It's, it's really uh, what I'm talking about as far as the relative and the absolute. On the relative, lo- uh, on the relative level, there is me and you. Or you can say it from your reference point, me and other, everything out there. That's a duality perspective. Okay? There's two components, me and other. And that's a relative reality. That is true. From the absolute perspective, there is not a me and other. It is all the same stuff. That's a non-dual perspective. And this is what I was trying to point out, that both are true. You You can't say... You don't exist. You know, pinch yourself. You'll you'll feel it. And you've got a history, and you've got uh, a personality, and all the things that make you uniquely you. And it's true. But on another level, you don't exist as a separate entity from everything else. It's just life happening. And there's not any one place that is unchanging in that process that we call Gordon. It is a constantly changing process, pattern of energy and sensations and thoughts. Um, So on that level, your process, that process, is part of this bigger process of change. And that's the non-dual level. Does that make sense? non-separate, where there's a oneness of things. So does this mean you're not going to tell us how much to meditate? (laughs) 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 If you want, I'll give you some, we'll give you some suggestions. But you know, the the whole... uh, all the suggestions are pointing to you to discover the practice for yourself. That's, that's the tricky thing about um, being, um, uh, being respectful or inspired or whatever by, by somebody else. Um, if you think that they've got the answers, then you're really taking away the power and the understanding that it's all in here. So a lot of it is learning to trust yourself. And there are some recommended uh, guidelines that are helpful for a lot of people, but in the end, you've got to discover what works for you. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. Yeah, Josie. Oh, yeah, we'll start with Josie. And then. Um, I've been about uh, being a place of power and a place of choice. 
is um, placing awareness on attention like kind of putting a wedge between thought and action so that there's some space or, or some ch- possibly some choice is, is putting your awareness on intention a wedge between thought and action so that there's some space for some choice? Yeah. Um, yeah, you could say that. I, I don't think of it as a wedge so much. But, yeah, just seeing the process, that subtle aspect of process, um, you're it's continually happening. You have impulses, you know, to scratch an itch or to change your posture or to go get some tea or to do whatever you do that give rise to actions. And it goes the other way too. Your body can have some, uh, you can be fatigued and it'll give rise to certain thoughts which will give rise to certain emotions, you know, so it goes both ways. but with intention and seeing the impulses before action, what you're doing is attending to that part of the process that you're usually acting on automatic pilot to give yourself some choice, some clarity whether or not you want to act on this particular impulse or let it pass. What do you mean by intentional well, intentions? Like you wake up in the morning and you intend to be mindful and, and then you forget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I was thinking. I was thinking. I've had a lot of intentions to exercise every day, mm-hmm. but I never exercise. And so, well, well, then is that an intention, or is it just a It was an intention that came and went. You had an intention, it came and it went. Just like you might have an intention to scratch an itch, and then you don't act on it, and it goes. There's different levels of intention that that, you're talking about. On the, the subtle level of impulse to act, that's the one that we're looking at in the meditative way. Then there's also a kind of um, will or conscious decision, okay, which is also an intention. Um, often they don't give rise to actions, but sometimes they do. What the, the key ingredient, uh, in addition to intention, if you're trying to, say, develop a skillful habit, is um, the quality of resolution as well, resolve. That's one of the, it's one of the, the ten perfections of, of a Buddha, where not only do you have the idea to do it, but you, you have a commitment to stay with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, ki- it's the difference between wishing something would happen and deciding to do it. And there, there's a world of difference there. There's a real power in that decision to do it. So, like, if I hear my mind saying, let's just sit a little longer in bed and let's drink the tea and wouldn't it be nice, you know, let's, let's read the magazine and, and then the next thing you know, I have to get up and go to work and I've missed my time to meditate. Right. I've heard that before. (laughs) So that resolution would sort of, you'd you'd have the thought, of course, to sit and drink your tea and read your magazine, but something would go through that onto the cushion. Mm -hmm. Hopefully me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
It's very powerful. It's very powerful. Because then, then you can see, if you didn't act on your intention, that, you've, that you can, you've chosen not to act on it. And you don't have to feel kind of victim to your patterns. You can say, okay, I've, I'm deciding not to do this. But it, and even if you're not doing it the way you would prefer to, you are, you're claiming back your, um, your choice. And, you know, one thing I, I would just encourage, maybe we'll do it tomorrow, uh, feeling what it's like to decide to do something, to commit to it. There's, there's a, a, a kind of gut-level vitality that comes from it. Um, and it, it's possible. Think of the decisions that you've made in your life when there was just a clarity that's welled up and formed a, a palpable decision. It's there. You, you've got it. It's just kind of exercising that muscle. On a daily basis. Sometimes I feel like I have to re-decide. Yeah. Every day. Yes. Every day. Yes. Yeah. And it's not just once and I'm going to meditate every day. Right. It's clock in the morning and I could, you know, <laughs> exercise. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Three days. One day at a time. Yeah, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Yeah. And the thing is, though, that as a habit gets stronger, it becomes the way you do it. There's a kind of spiral there that the more you do it, the more you're used to doing it. And we are very, uh, very much habituated creatures. So that's where it's so important that the choice this time it might not like it might not seem like much but it's crucial because it's conditioning the the likelihood that in the next same situation that choice will be will be followed again there, there's an image that the buddha has uh, said about filling a bucket under a a dripping faucet he said Dro- each drop is not a whole lot, but drop by drop by drop, the bucket gets filled. So be very, and each of those drops is the intention, the, the decision to do it a certain way, and it starts to build on each other. the possibility of meditating on a problem or indecisiveness. Um, you can do it, um, especially if there's, if there's a few different choices um, or a yes or a no kind of a thing where there's some clear options. If you just sit and don't try to figure out the right answer, but just watch the whole, you know, like the needle going to this, this, you know, yes, no, or maybe this, this, this. And if you just sit there and give it space, you might sit there for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half, however long, if you can give yourself the time, after a while, the needle will probably fall on one side. And that's where you're at just now. So that's where you... That's where you honor. It doesn't mean that you're not going to ever change, but that's the information you have to go on now. So the, the key to that process is not trying to figure it out, but just watch and listen where your heart is moving towards. Thank you.
guilty. I, like I should be going out and seeing a movie plan. You know, I'm going on vacation at this retreat and I'm obviously planning all these things to do. Uh-huh. And I felt to think about not just to be and how much even with being with friends, I'm not really being with them, always being with them. Good. Mm-hmm. Right. She she said her uh, thinking about her leisure time and how she's always doing something and even doing something and being with, and doing things with friends. Now, doing things with friends can be a beautiful thing because then you're having a shared experience and there's a, a commonality and it's it's lovely. I love doing things with with friends. But what you say about being a little bit scared to just be. It, that's what I was talking about, the momentum of busyness. Oh, I've got to do something. I, I remember when I was a kid, and it, was a, it would be a beautiful day, and i feel guilty for not getting out there. And my mother would say, it's such a beautiful day. Why are you <laughs> sitting in here and relaxing? You've know? <laughs> you got to do something. You know? And she would feel guilty, too. She, she, uh, we have a very good relationship uh, these days. It, she's come a long way. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> I love you, Mom. <laughs> she now, you know, wouldn't miss a Dharma talk that if she's around for the world and she sat at IMS, you know, 20 years ago. I, I, you couldn't have ever had me believe that one. But uh, she retired a few uh, years ago and she was really scared of retiring for, for a long time, even though she, she'd be commuting like an hour and a half, an hour and three quarters to New Jersey because they moved her place to New Jersey and, and coming each way and working hard and she was very an integral part of the, the company and she, she just was frightened of the idea of stopping work. Since she stopped, she's, uh, she's a volunteer, the, the number one volunteer uh, at this hospital working with AIDS um, patients who are prisoners, who who are kind of shackled to the bed, if you can believe it. Uh, and she's like the Florence Nightingale. And it's just given her so much greater meaning than what uh, she was doing. Actually, she still, she works a lot less, but uh, they come to her these days. She doesn't have to do any commuting, and she goes out for business lunches. That's her. Uh, she stays in, uh, connected that way. But I remember a, couple, uh, a year ago, she was, she was saying... Uh, I called and she was just lying uh, in bed and she said, you won't believe this, but I've just been lying in bed all day reading. She's a voracious reader and the vacuum cleaner has been out staring at me and I just haven't done it. I feel so, you know, so guilty. And I said, who's giving you the report card? Right. And she, uh, I didn't, I, it was just a comment that came out of me, but like a month later she said, you know, ever since I started asking myself who's giving me the report card and realizing I don't have to do it, I've been having so much fun, you know. <laughs> you know the vacuum cleaner is still there. Or, you know. <laughs> no, it's not like as she is. But it's, it's such a deep conditioning that it's not okay to just relax and enjoy this moment. So, what's that? Oh, okay. Uh, how many more people are needed for the work uh, sign up? Uh, so, five or six, five more people. If you feel like doing instead of being for the next 45 minutes, where it can be a, a true service, um, then this would be a good way to practice going from, from the, the restful place to, to service. Service is a wonderful way to express your urge to do. So um, check it out downstairs, and if there's a spot left, then, uh, then sign in your name, okay? Let's just take a moment to sit and let go of all the words.
just listening to life. This talk was given by James Barris at Insight Meditation Society on July 30, 1993. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.